Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be doing something over the next few weeks here, just a little bit different. The next, the next two weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about, t- today and next Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit about missional communities. We've, we've kind of been advertising a little bit. We've been talking about it coming up, but we really haven't described them or explained them in any way. And so that's what we're going to try to do uh, these next couple of weeks is unpack a little bit about what we've been, what we've meant by, by those and how you can be involved and then, uh, of course, that takes us right into the Christmas season, and we're going to think a little bit about the birth of Christ from sort of the early pages of Genesis and how uh, this not only was foretold, but was, is all part of God's master plan to bring us to Him. And so we'll encourage you to join us here during the Advent season, and then we'll jump back into First Peter uh, after the new year and begin uh, or continue our journey there. Um, Again, while you're finding your place there in Acts chapter 2, I just want to mention briefly, um, there's always more announcements in your bulletin that we have time to make mention of, but I I do want to point out that uh, we're taking nominations for deacons, and you can see some information in there. Make sure you find out how you can uh, nominate someone if you feel led to to put them on our radar. I want to invite you to do that. And then um, just secondly, again, I just, I'm so thankful for uh, Kevin's being here last weekend, not only to minister to uh, the men who were able to go on the retreat, but to, but to share with us here in this service. If for some reason you weren't here, uh, make sure you get on our website and take a look at what um, Kevin shared or give it, listen to what Kevin shared last week. Uh, I know you'll be blessed. Um, another thing that I learned last weekend is that uh, you all can sit through an hour and a half sermon. So... Uh, I'm going to make some adjustments here, so I hope that you don't have anything in the oven right now. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I'm just looking forward to the fruit that we'll continue to bear as we have some more discussions about that. Um, I know we, uh, some of the guys have talked about just uh, continuing to gather together and, and uh, unpacking some of the things that God was speaking to them and dive a little bit deeper, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 to 47 here, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, We're going to be jumping around a little bit, and so I put most of the scriptures on the screen, but this is going to be kind of our, our launching passage here. Verse 42 begins this way, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people every day. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As we think about this, this term, missional communities, and uh, give us a little time here. We're going to unpack this this morning and again next week, and as well as tonight. And I'll share a little bit more about that uh, here as we go on. And so hopefully, uh, the more we talk about it, we'll kind of uh, share a, a clearer vision for what we're talking about when we, when we talk about missional communities but here's how, here's how we're defining it. And you can find several definitions on the internet. I, I blended 
together a couple with uh, one of um, uh, a definition my friend likes to use and kind of came up with this. A missional community is a committed group of people who are learning to live the way of Jesus together by being spiritually alive in Christ, relationally connected to one another, and missionally engaged in the world. And so what we want to do this morning is sort of unpack that definition, point to the scriptural basis for what we're talking about, and again, hopefully begin to, begin to get a kind of a clearer picture of what we're talking about when we talk about these, these groups here that we're calling missional communities. The first phrase that it starts off with is that it's a committed group of people. In Acts 2.42, we just read, it tells us that the early Christians, they devoted themselves and it lists several things here, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is a group of people who are devoted to one another. Now, one thing when you read the book of Acts that we have to keep in mind is the, the book of Acts is not necessarily an outline for how exactly we're supposed to do everything in the church. Uh, it, it's, it's a description of how the early church lived, and there are a lot of principles that we should take in that, that I think apply and are backed up elsewhere in the New Testament, but I don't think it's necessarily what, what, what theologians call it's the difference between something that's prescriptive and descriptive. So something that's descriptive is just it's telling you what was going on in the early church. Something that's prescriptive says, you must do it this way. I don't think the book of Acts, in a lot of ways, uh, is necessarily prescriptive. That is, that 100% of the book of Acts is what we're supposed to be doing 100% of the time. For example, we don't look at verse 45 and says that they, they sold all their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So I don't think that like God's calling us necessarily for every person in the church to sell every single thing that you have and give it all away. Now, there may be times when he calls you to those extreme things that the Holy Spirit leads you to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for the sake of the gospel. And I know that throughout the church history, there have been those that have felt this leading and say, you know, I'm just going to live with a very bare minimum and trust God day by day uh, for my needs. Um, there are times when he does that, for sure. But here, this, this passage is saying this is what was true of the early church. But there is in this passage a reality that is supposed to infuse the body of Christ. And we'll, we'll see it this week and next week is that there is, there is a devotion to each other. It says they were devoted to the fellowship. This was a committed group of people. They were committed to one another. As they gathered together, they, they knew that, listen, this was their lifeblood. Uh, here's what we're saying with missional communities. Sunday morning is not enough. The way that we do church here, where you can, you can kind of come in, and uh, like Kevin, I think, pointed it out. I can't remember if it was this service or the first service, but he said, you know, the, the, the way that we do church here, in the early church, it was around a table, and believers were looking at one another, whereas here, you're looking at the back of each other's heads. And, and bef in the early church, it was everybody was involved in that gathering, whereas here, it's just a few people on the stage doing uh, the talking or the the leading the worship. This was a call here. This was part of the fiber of the early church was that everybody was devoted to one another. Everybody was engaged and involved. One of the unfortunate realities of the way we do church and 
it's not just this country, it's especially true of America, but I think it's, it can be found around the world, is that especially in bigger churches, you can slip in and out on Sunday mornings and, and not be noticed at all, whether that's your intention or not. There are, I was talking to someone not, not too long ago that says, listen, I, just, I like being a part of a big church because I can just come in, listen to the service, and leave and not have to engage with anybody. At least they were being honest, but that's not what God wants us for us as believers. That, that's not the picture of the, new, the early church. They were devoted to each other. Here's the thing, though. As the group gets bigger and bigger, you've got to find ways to make the, those, those opportunities happen in a smaller gathering, a smaller place. We, we just simply can't do it here in a, on a Sunday morning uh, in, in the short amount of time we have. We're, we're very limited. And so, we're going to be talking about missional communities for this very reason. Missional community is a group of people who say, I want more. I don't want to just slip in and be unseen. I, I want to be connected. And that's, it kind of brings us to the, the next part of our definition. A missional community is a committed group of people who are, are learning to live the way of Jesus together. I, I love that it's a process. Our definition says that we're in a learning phase. We don't have it all together. That's what the church should be. Too often we look across the pew or across the aisle, across the room, and we think, well, those people have it all together. Those people, uh, those people are really mature Christians. Those are, those are really godly people. I can never measure up to the way they live. I could, I could never act that way or raise my kids that way. Well, again, part of the problem with the way we do church is that you, you don't know how they're living. They can, make, they can look really good. Any of us can look really good here for just a, a little while on a Sunday morning, look like we have it together. But one of the things that, um, that when, when my wife and I shared a year or so ago for our need for a sabbatical and that we needed to just step back and uh, work on our marriage, work on our, uh, just kind of heal from some wounds and some hurts, one of the things that, uh, that we heard from folks is, you know, they, that... Our, our candor and our honesty was appreciated and, and that um, I, I heard the phrase several times, man, um, you guys are real people too. And, and um, I mean, I never thought much about it. I sort of like, I mean, I know I can be weird, but I sort of feel like a real human being. I've got all the parts and stuff. But uh, you, you sometimes develop this, this idea about somebody that, that is, that, like, they don't have any struggles. They don't battle any sin or temptation and and uh, I mean, like, there's probably people in, in, in your row or in, in, in the other side of this room here that had a colossal fight last night, or maybe even on the way to church this morning. And you think, man, they, they're looking good. Their kids are all well-behaved. It's just because just before they walked in the door, Dad says, if any of you talk during the sermon, you will not make it home alive. And you're like, look at those well-behaved children. Well, they fear for their life. <laughs> We're all on a journey. None of us have arrived. The verse on the screen there, Peter tells us, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to be growing. We're to be growing in that grace. I love even Paul's honesty where he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to, to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. I mean, if anybody could say, like, listen, I've got it together. 
listen, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need any more work. I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul. Well, that was him. He could have, no. He says, listen, I've not already reached the goal. I'm on this journey too. I, I, I'm still getting there. And see, here's the, here's the thing. A missional community is a group of people who are learning to do this together. They're realizing that it's, it's a journey. The longer I, I told, I told Kevin uh, Butcher last week when we were driving back from the men's retreat, the longer I, I live, the more I like that phrase, uh, journey, to refer to our Christian life. Because we go through these hardships, we go through ups and downs, and uh, none of us have arrived at the destination. Not until we meet Jesus face to face. A missional community is a group of people who are committed to doing this together. And notice in our definition here, it's they're learning to live the way of Jesus together. This is not just about getting together and hanging out and shooting the breeze and talking about the ball game or, or even our kids or other events in our life, but it's, it's, it's bringing Jesus to bear on everything that's going on in our life. It's not being content with superficiality, but it's longing to know Jesus together. The next part of our definition says, uh, by being spiritually alive in Christ, this committed group of people who are learning to live the way of Jesus together, by being spiritually alive in Christ. And I love what Jesus told us in John 10.10, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This world is throwing all kinds of stuff at us, not to mention our own heart's desires, chasing after our fleshly desires that, that, that says, listen, here's where life is. Life is in your hobby. Life is in wealth. Life is in this success. Or if you fill in the blank, whatever those temptations are to replace Jesus. And this missional community is saying, no, listen, we're going to find life in Jesus together. That's what our heartbeat is. Not in the stuff of the world, but we're longing to, to impart spiritual life to one another. The next phrase says, by being relationally connected to one another. This is absolutely crucial to a missional community. Notice back in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were devoted to the gathering, to the, the, the koinonia is the Greek word there, the, the, the oneness, the togetherness. They were devoted to that. That word devoted, it, it's, it's not, it, it connotates more than just like you're testing the waters. They were all in here. We've talked about this before, but one of the, the great problems with our, our, our culture's Christianity is that it's safe to sort of call yourself a Christian and really not be all in. The New Testament didn't know anything of that kind of a faith, that kind of a religion. Believers, because they knew that they could lose their jobs, they could lose their families, they could lose everything by following Jesus, they didn't put one foot in and one foot out. They didn't have like a backup plan. They were all in. This, the, the community, the believing community, that was their family. They were devoted to Christ because they had no other option. And they were devoted to each other because they knew that the, the, the New Testament bears this out. They knew that they needed each other. There's not one, a single one of us, who can be the follower of Christ that Jesus longs for us to be, and he knows that we need to be, that we can do it by ourselves. 
Too many, too many books out there promote this sort of like, just me and my Bible. Kevin, again, talked about that a little bit last week. Just me and my Bible, and that's all I need to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. The New Testament says, no, that's not the case. We need to be relationally connected to one another. What this means is that we're letting people into our hearts and lives. In Hebrews 10, a passage that captures this so well, we read in verses 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to provoke to love and good works. Just think about that first phrase for a second. How do you provoke somebody to love and good works? My wife and I will take this verse out of context sometimes and joke um, that when one of us is getting, when we realize that we're kind of getting under the other's skin, we've both quoted it and say, hey, I'm just being biblical here. The Bible says to provoke you, and I'm just needling things a little bit. And I think that's probably not the intended meaning. Here, if you finish the sentence, it's the provoking, or that Greek word is to stir up. Some of your translations say stir up to love and good works. How do you do that? How do you stir someone up to love and to good works? There's, there's probably a lot of different ways, but I'll, I'll just say this. That in a, in a room like this, it's really difficult to do. If, if you're... If your church family experience is walk in as the music's playing and then leave and, and that's it, that's, that's not happening. You, can't, you just can't do it. We're called to be into one another's lives to such degree that you can, you can stir each other up to good works, that you can provoke someone to love others and Jesus more. And further the matter, the passage goes on to say, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love, again, this picture. He says, listen, you can't do this without gathering together. Ever since the pandemic, I mean, it started before then. We've, we've had uh, live streaming in, in many churches and many, you know, even even being able to watch on-demand sermons and worship services for a long, long time now with the internet. But after the pandemic, it became a really endemic. I mean, it just became such a, a, a more widespread thing. You see, because if, 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 if you're not engaged with God's people, gathering together to stir up to love and good works, I mean... Again, I'm not trying to chase anybody away, but what are you doing here? Like, why, why, get it, why sacrifice time on a Sunday morning, especially I told the early service? I mean, they're up out of bed early. Like, if all you need is some worship music and a good sermon, listen, I, I mean, I, I think God's gifted me to preach and teach His Word, but I, I know as well as you do that there's some way better teachers on the Internet than, than I am. You could listen to the sermon, and with... With streaming music, you can listen to any, any song you want. You can pick your favorite worship songs. Well, what do you need to be here for? You see, the writer of Hebrews recognized that we need each other. We need to gather together. It's not just about being in person to hear a live guy teaching the Bible. But it's, it's about being able to be so connected to each other that you can provoke each other to love and good works and then later on down there, the fourth line down, and encourage each other. Again, we can't, we can't do that on a Sunday morning 
really effectively. You, you may be able to connect a little bit in the, in the halls as you're passing. But the, the kind of deep level encouragement that each of us needs involves us being in, involved in each other's lives to, to know what are, where are you struggling? What do you need encouragement and how do you need to be built up? It's not just like seeing somebody out there, hey, your hair looks nice today. Good job with the hair. Like, we like compliments, but that's not encouraging our soul. This really, truly only can deeply happen when, when we're gathered together in a smaller community. We know each other. We have relationships with each other, and we can build each other up through our presence and through our words. If I took a show of hands this morning and asked, who today is, he came in here like over-encouraged, like you're pushing away from the Thanksgiving table, like I've had too much. I don't need any more encouragement today. I've been so filled up with encouragement this week, I just couldn't take another word of it. Like, there's none of us. Now, we get, we get tired of shallow compliments or superficial encouragement. I, I get being tired of that. We've all experienced that, and you're like, okay, whatever. But, but like... For those of you who were, who were here last week in the first service, uh, Kevin speaking those words of blessing into my life and the second service into my wife, I mean, we were a mess. And, and, and I, I know Kevin well enough to know that he meant what he said. But that, that blessing came through a relationship that he had already begun to establish through, uh, through uh, the last year or so that we've We've spent time with him on, uh, over the phone and, and just conversations, kind of sharing our hearts. You see, when we want to build each other up, when we're going to practice the one another's of Scripture, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week, we have to have relationship. We have to be connected. We absolutely need this deeper community. I want to share a story uh, from uh, another pastor who and it just shows the value of that relational connectivity in the missional communities he has at his church. He said uh, one day he sat down at his desk and he received this email. He said, you may not, the email said this, you may not know me and my wife. We've attended your church for about two years, once every two months or so due to our work schedules. We have been attending a missional community for about six months. We've been married six years and have been trying to have children for the past two we recently broke the news that we were expecting our first child and all was well. Today we found out, however, that our child is dead and my wife is painfully awaiting a miscarriage. I'm angry. I'm sad. I don't understand why or how this is part of God's plan. Part of me screams, this is not fair. For so long I've been thankfully pray, praying to God and now I don't know what I should say to him. How can I be thankful for what I see as almost cruelty? I'm a mess. My wife is a mess. We haven't told our missional community yet. It sounds odd, but I can't deal with that many people caring for us right now. I understand that these people love us more than we know, but we can barely get out of bed dealing with our grieving. I don't know if I'm looking for advice or someone to tell me to suck it up. Either way, please keep us in, our, in your prayers. Well, the pastor just just felt the weight of that, that grief, but he gently encouraged them to be honest with that missional community that they had been involved with now for six months at this point. And, and he said, just share what you're struggling with. Share your, your heart. And so he got this email back. We took your advice and we opened up to our missional community. It's hard. We're still hurting, but coming to terms. 
The message on Sunday helped us in the car ride home to understand that God is bigger than this, but we're still a mess. Pastor Justin spoke in our missional community this week, and it was pertinent to the topic at hand. How does a gospel community look, especially in regards to suffering? We understand that community can share a load in the suffering and help with the strength to continue. We feel love and support from our missional community, and it's a valuable source right now. I'm still angry. My wife is still let down. But there is a trust in God that he loves us, and somehow that will get us through. I still have trouble seeing how all this fits into God's big plan, but that could be said about a lot of things in life. I guess this is what Ecclesiastes is for. And then a short time later, he got, the pastor got another update. In this tragedy, we realize the depth of relationships we have in our church. Previously, we attended another church for a while. We were fully saturated in this other church, perhaps overly saturated, and we had our roots in everything. But they were shallow roots of empty relationships. Aside from a few conversations before church, it felt like we were on our own. But in this missional community, we're loved. We had daily calls. People from our group are bringing meals. Some were even offering to just sit with us in our confusion, just to sit and not have the answers. Just sit. Never before have my wife and I felt so served, loved, and embraced into the love of Jesus Christ through his people. We're not yet back to 100%, but we are on the road to recovery. What a testimony. They had been at a church, sounds like maybe a big church, and they were even serving and involved. But they were coming and going without any kind of deep connection with God's people. And then when tragedy struck, by God's grace, they were part of this community. Can you imagine? I recently, it was a couple months ago, I, I had been trying to reach out to somebody I hadn't seen in forever and uh, was having trouble getting a hold. And finally, we got in touch. And um, this guy had, had been struggling for months. I'm not exaggerating, months with this hurt and this pain that had begun to fester and build up. And as he shared it with me and, and got choked up over the phone, towards the end of our conversation, he said, you know, since all this started, you're the very first person I've shared this with. And on one hand, I was honored, but on the other hand, it broke my heart to know that this person didn't feel like they had anybody in their life that, that they could invite in to, to walk through this struggle with, with sin and with heartache and with shame and anger that was all broiled into this thing. And they didn't have anybody. My brothers and sisters, we, we can come and walk in and out on Sunday mornings and, and not have anybody. Not have anybody know the, the struggles that we, we face. The sin that we wrestle with, the, the, the hopes and dreams that we have. And, I mean, maybe you want it that way. Maybe you're cool with that. I hope as we walk through the scriptures, though, that you'll see that God invites us into more. He longs for us to be relationally connected to one another. He longs for us to open our hearts to one another. You see, here's the thing. No matter what you're walking through, you're not the first person to walk through it. 
whether you're coming on, out on the other end and, and God has, has brought you through, or you're just entering into that trial or that difficulty, when you're in a group of people, there are going to be others who have walked through similar experiences, others who are on their journey and can, can encourage you and strengthen you and maybe just sit with you. The final part of our phrase is sort of what differentiates this from just being a maybe a, a small group or some, some churches will call them a, a, just a community group. Because the last part of our definition reminds us that, that this, these groups are, are missionally engaged in the world. You see, one of the dangers that the church has always, always had standing at their doorstep is that we become inward focused, that we become myopic. I mean, this is not new to 21st century American Christianity. For 2,000 years, the church has wrestled with this. Those times where we just become focused on ourselves and our problems and our own needs. A missional community should be, should be a place where you can come and, and share your heart and learn about the Lord and grow deeper in your walk together on this journey. But it shouldn't just be about those people who are already on the inside, so to speak. But we should have an, always have an eye looking outward. And we're going to talk more about what this means and how to do it and everything. But a, a missional community is, well, it's missional. It's thinking outwardly. Jesus left us with a commission. John 20, 21 sums it up. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I send you. That passage is not just for missionaries that go overseas into other cultures. We need that. We absolutely need that because there are many yet today without the gospel. But we all should be missionally minded. What I mean by that is we should have a mentality of doing mission right where we are. Adopting the posture of a missionary with eyes open, looking at the culture around you, looking as to how you can invite others into your life. When churches stop being missional and become focused only on themselves, that's when death begins to start. A church begins to die when they stop looking outward. A missional community says this, listen, it's not just the pastor's job to share the gospel, and it's not just you as an individual that's, we're all supposed to be evangelistic where we are. But this group says, listen, together we're going to support and encourage each other on this mission. We're going to think together about how we can reach our neighbors, our community for Jesus Christ. I shared this story a couple of years ago. I'll close with this. It's a story of Rosaria Butterfield, who today is has written several books and, and speaks at a lot of conferences around the, the U.S. But not so many years ago, Rosaria was a recently tenured professor in the Center for Women's Study at Syracuse University and wanted absolutely nothing to do with God or his people. Rosaria and her lesbian partner were members of a Unitarian Universalist church where Rosaria was the coordinator of what was called the Welcoming Committee, the Gay and Lesbian Advocacy Group. Up until this point in her life, Rosaria said that the only Christians she knew were, quote, intellectually impaired. They were the kind of people 
who, in her words, sent me hate mail, or people who carried signs at gay pride marches that read, God hates fags. But her negative image of Christians would radically change when she met a local pastor named Ken and his wife, Floy. Eventually, that friendship led to her conversion to Christ. But here's how Rosaria described with that first encounter with authentic Christians. She said, I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember awkwardly greeting my hosts at the door and pulling out of my bag two gifts, a bottle of good red wine and a box of strong tea. I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed sensitive to that. During our meal, I remember holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead and and that if ever he was alive, the fact that Poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof he didn't care about his creation. I believed that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. But Ken's God seemed alive, three-dimensional and wise. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. Ken and Floyd did something at that meal that has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they didn't invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. Since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. This simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of this journey. Before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd and on and off studying scripture in my heart, and in my heart. Ken knew at the time that I couldn't come to church. It would have been too threatening, too too weird, too much. Listen to this last phrase. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. There are thousands of people in Clare County who will never set foot in a church. They might set foot in your home. They may not come and hear a pastor talk for 35 or an hour and 35 minutes. But they may come and sit at your table with a small group of people who just love them. Not cramming something down their throat, not locking the doors until they've prayed the sinner's prayer, but who sit with them, who get to know them for who they are, who care for them, care about their families, care about their hurts, and are deeply interested in their story. Knowing Kevin like I do when he said toward the end of his message last night that he wished he could, he could freeze time and come up to each and every person in here and listen to your story, I know that he meant what he said. When, when we have that kind of a heart, 
when people are not just uh, faces in a crowd or, God forbid, just numbers to try to add to the kingdom, but are men and women and children with stories, with, with hurts and pasts and hopes and dreams, when they feel loved, we've opened up a, a gigantic door. There's no guarantees. There's no script to say if you just love them enough, if you listen long enough, and you take at least two years with them, boom, they're a Christian. When we begin to open up our hearts and our homes and say, let's, let's do life together, first of all, with God's people, but secondly, inviting those who are still yet to meet Christ, when we can invite them in on that journey, I think great things can happen. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Uh, tonight at 5 in here, we're going to have just a little bit more of an informal discussion uh, about some of the nuts and bolts of what, what does this look like? What do missional communities look like in real life? I want to invite you, even if you're not sure and you're like, there, there's no sign up. You can come tonight and it's not... Again, we're not going to lock the doors and say you need to sign up and agree to do this or be a part of one of these or you can't leave. Uh, this, this is just uh, to, to give a little bit more of sort of the, the practical information of what it looks like to be a part of these missional communities. We'll talk about what it looks like to lead one. Maybe you think, you know, I'd like to be a part, but I don't know about leading it, or I'd like to open up my home, but I don't know about leading it, or something like that. We would love to just sort of explore the different ways in which these missional communities can take heart. And God has called us, number one, to, to do life together, to have a community around you where you can be real and open and honest. You may not come in here and, and stand up and share your heart with the whole room full of people. It's probably not wise. Most of us don't have that desire anyways. What about a, a room of six to 12 people who you know care for you and love you and you can share a struggle, you can share a hurt, you can share something stupid you did this week that you're confessing before them, and you know that they're going to give you a hug when it's all done. They're not going to push you away. They're not going to block you on their call list. They're going to walk with you. That's, that's the church, my brothers and sisters. And then to invite unbelievers in. And when we do that, we're, we're doing the New Testament. We're living the way of Jesus who poured out his heart and ultimately his life and sat with those whom no one else would sit so that they might know the love of the Father. May that be our heartbeat as well. I want to invite you here in a moment as we pray. If you feel led to pray or would like prayer for anything, there'll be a few of us up front who would love to just walk alongside you and pray with you or for you if that would be a blessing to you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, may we be the church. God, may we be a place where we can build one another up, where we can encourage one another, where we can confess our sins to one another, where we can love one another fervently from a pure heart, where we can be devoted to one another. We recognize that it's not really practical to 
have that happen on a Sunday morning. So, Lord, I ask that you would show us how we can invite others into our hearts and lives in, a, in, in smaller communities, smaller groups, that, that we can not only provoke one another to love and good works, but also think together about how to reach our community, to reach our neighbors, to reach our loved ones. God, strengthen us for this task. Give us a longing to be a part of your family in this way that, that there's no, no, no hiding, no more um, lurking in the shadows, no slipping in and out Sunday morning unnoticed, but that we would long to be seen and long to see others and invite them into our lives. Father, give us grace for this. Strengthen us by the might of your Holy Spirit to fulfill what you've asked us. Now the God whose affection never cools, whose attention never wavers, whose arm never relaxes, and whose grace never fails, rescue you from every evil attack and bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.